You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, thank you for tuning into The Pregnancy Podcast. This episode is wrapping up breastfeeding month here in the United States. And this episode especially is going to be a celebration of Black Breastfeeding Week. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors for this episode. Aeroflow is a company that helps you get a breast pump through your health insurance. They take care of all the paperwork and the phone calls and everything for you. And then they just come back to you and let you know what you qualify for. They make the process so easy. To get started, go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash breast pump. I also want to thank Zoller, who makes my favorite prenatal vitamin, which also has DHA. This is the prenatal vitamin that I am personally taking twice a day, and it meets all of the requirements that I have for a prenatal vitamin. To get 25% off a month supply, you can go to pregnancypodcast.com and just click on the link on the ad on the sidebar, and that also has the promo code to enter at checkout to save 25%. Last week, we talked about pumping breast milk and just kind of went back to the basics on everything that you need to know to get a good foundation on pumping. This week, we are talking about breastfeeding challenges in the real world. And I have an amazing guest on, and we're really going to dive into some of the social, economical, and real-world reasons that women do not breastfeed, or reasons that women stop breastfeeding early. Links to everything for this episode can be found at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash episode 101. Elizabeth Bain is an award-winning producer, director, and public health communicator whose work has garnered two case awards, a public Davy Award, seven Telly Awards, and a Best Short Competition Award. She earned her Master's of Public Health from the Yale School of Public Health and her Master's of Fine Arts and Film from the Art Center College of Design. Elizabeth is committed to working at the intersection of social impact and film, and she's currently producing Chocolate Milk, which is her first feature documentary. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. My listeners might be wondering why I am talking to a filmmaker on the podcast. Can you start off with telling us a little bit about you and the project that you're currently working on? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show, Vanessa. I'm really excited to be here and really appreciating your time. Um, So yes, I am a filmmaker, but before completing film school, I actually started as a public health professional. I graduated, as you you said in the bio, thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I graduated with a master's in public health from Yale University, and it was around that time that I became very interested in health communication and had the opportunity to work as a fellow at the Environmental Protection Agency um, for a few years, where I learned more about social marketing and the power of media to influence behavior. And um, after that, I went to film school. And when I graduated, my intent had always been to work in the public health realm and use media um, for social impact. And I learned about breastfeeding. And up until that time, I had assumed, like most of us, that it was just something that people did and you figured it out once you were at that point in your life. And when I learned that there was a disparity in breastfeeding among black women that in general is difficult and the numbers are fairly low, they're not 100 percent for breastfeeding across all women in America. 
um, that was troubling. But then to learn that there was um, an even lower rate among African-American women, I became very interested in the subject, um, not just as a healthcare disparity, but also as a feminist issue. And I wanted to know how to get involved, what I could do to contribute to whatever was already being done. Through that journey, I've learned a lot about the birthing process, about postpartum issues, and just that whole realm that the mainstream population maybe doesn't think about and that we don't really accommodating society for to make that an easier transition for moms. So can you tell us a little bit about Chocolate Milk and yes. the idea behind that a documentary? So Chocolate Milk started as a web series. And actually, it first just started as an investigation. I was thinking maybe I would do a public service announcement since that was what my background and training was in. And before I did that, any good public health person who's worth their muster will learn more about the issue before just creating some piece of content. And so I did a literature review, read the research, read the academic papers to get a handle on what we knew. And then I started talking to the community and I was able to uh, work with um, women who worked at WIC offices to get in touch with moms and experts on the subject and just learn more about it. And I thought it would be fun and interesting not just to do the interviews for my own benefit, but to also record them on video and post them online so that they became a resource for other moms who may be exploring that issue, who are maybe undecided. And so it started as a web series uh, in about 2014 on YouTube, where I would post you know, 90 second to two minute uh, vignettes of my interviews with moms about their breastfeeding experience, about their experience in the hospital system, and talking with adaptation experts about some of the challenges there. I love everything you're doing with this project. And um, oh, you have... You. A great promo video that I'll link to in the show notes so our listeners can check that out. The reason I really wanted to bring you on the, the podcast today is I've covered breastfeeding on the podcast. And the way that I have approached it, like the way so many advocates do, is to talk about the benefits. You know, at this point, I think listeners of the Pregnancy Podcast are probably pretty familiar with benefits of breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with that, I can link to that episode in the show notes. But you know, the benefits are really important, but I don't think that that's really the main reason that women either choose not to breastfeed or don't continue breastfeeding for very long. And there's so many other barriers and challenges that can make it really difficult for women to breastfeed or continue breastfeeding. And Elizabeth, you and I mentioned this really briefly right before we started recording this episode, but I really want to bring you on to talk about some of the problems that are not discussed and specifically how minority communities like the African-American community are really impacted. And I know in the promo for the documentary, you said that when you started looking into the reasons as to why African-American women didn't have higher rates of breastfeeding, that you found the reasons were a lot more complex than perhaps you had originally anticipated. Yes, this is true. And it's interesting because a lot of the reasons that African-American women breastfeed at lower rates are the same reason that any woman in America might not breastfeed. You know, maternity leave duration, having to go back to work, that sort of thing um, is an issue as well as public nursing. You know, how the community reacts to someone who's breastfeeding in public. Those are issues that affect a lot of women who made the decision to breastfeed um, and in the African-American community more so for the same reasons that um, it's a disenfranchised group or a marginalized community. The part where it gets complicated, though, 
is when you look um, past those general barriers to the ones that are more specific to the experience of being a black woman in America. And um, there are a lot of different angles or different directions to go with that. When you were out interviewing mothers who are kind of in the trenches, so to speak, with newborns and maybe trying to navigate breastfeeding, I mean, what were the real challenges that you were hearing from them? Okay. And and the thing is, I've been working on this for a few years now. And so there's like this large web in my mind of how everything's interconnected. And so to make it simple, what I usually start is I, I like to tell it linearly. So I like to start from the before birth even happens. How much research are you doing? How many classes are you taking before you breastfeed um, or before you give birth, uh, before you become a parent? How are you preparing for that? And um, and that's like ground zero. And so a lot of times the assumption is that it's going to be natural. It's going to just happen. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't meant to be. And so a lot of moms didn't do research because they assumed that it would be automatic, that they'd figure it out. Uh, not thinking about the fact that it's their first time and it's their baby's first time trying to learn how to latch. Another thing before you even give birth is that uh, you'll be walking in the grocery store and people see that you're pregnant and they offer opinions. And um, and so you have relatives and strangers telling telling you before you've even become a mom what you may or may not be capable of doing. And so you have these myths and these ideas that, oh, breastfeeding is going to be challenging, breastfeeding is going to be painful, maybe I'm just not going to bother. Or you're not going to be able to nurse a baby if you're trying to go to school or return to work. So maybe I just won't bother. And so those are the uh, initially before you even get started, those might be some factors that influence um, that decision where you decide to give birth. That actually even plays a role, uh, which was surprising for me. So whether you have a a birth at a birthing center or at home um, at a hospital, a hospital that's baby friendly or not baby friendly, that actually plays a part too. So I guess that's why I'm, I don't know, because he says it's a 30 minute show. So I, <laughs> I want to be careful about how deep I go. So I'll just leave that at that. I'll leave that there. So where you give birth plays a role. How much information you have before you give birth plays a role. I'll go ahead and skip ahead. Now, how your birth plays out. Uh, ideally, we want to have a vaginal birth, but due to circumstances, some women will have to have a C-section. That can also influence your ability to breastfeed. A lot of times it might be actually be physically being able to do it, but sometimes it's just because you're recovering from the surgery and it's painful to position your baby properly. That can play a role. And if you look at the statistics, um, African-American women have a disproportionate number of C-sections. Um, they're more likely to have C-sections. And so that's going to be a factor. And so when I talk, to, and, and these are things that I know anecdotally as well as in the research. And so when I talk, when I think about specific uh, moms who I've interviewed with, um, their challenges a lot of times were the first 48 hours. Because if you haven't done the research or maybe you don't know quite what to read between the lines in the literature that you're given to prepare for breastfeeding, you don't know that your milk's not actually going to come in those first couple of days. And so women panic. One of the first moms I interviewed when I started doing this project told me how she she and her husband were up for 48 hours, didn't sleep because her milk hadn't come in and they were panicking. They were calling different lactation consultants, trying to understand what the problem was. And over the past couple of years, what I've come to understand is you're not going to have that much. At best, you're going to have some colostrum and a few drops. And because of the size of the baby's stomach, that's actually sufficient. Right. But if you come, right, right. But if you come from a family where you're the first one to breastfeed and everyone else has been doing formula, they're assuming that that's not going to be enough because they're used to having the bottle be empty. 
and you can see how much the baby's getting. Whereas when you're nursing, you don't know how much you're actually giving the child. And so you think maybe it's not enough. And so a lot of women think that they're starving their child and they give up in the first couple of days. Also because your baby loses weight, which is actually, from what I understand, normal for your baby to lose weight. But the staff might make you feel guilty or like you're not meeting some requirement. And so moms will give up and go directly to formula. So I'm going to stop there because I, I could go on a tangent, but I'll, 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 I'll stop there. <laughs> no, and I, I, I love how you're talking about, you know, it's such an interconnected web because I talk a lot about on the podcast, pregnancy and labor and birth. It's this symphony of everything kind of working together mm-hmm. and, you know, employing one intervention during birth or opting into something can affect how all the subsequent things go. So. Absolutely. And I think with with breastfeeding, that's absolutely true is, you know, maybe not having an understanding beforehand of how things go. And like you were talking about, you know, maybe not even knowing that it takes a few days for your milk to come in or your baby losing weight. There's evidence that shows also that women who receive IV fluids during labor, which is probably the majority of, of women giving birth in a hospital, um, their babies tend to also retain additional fluid after birth. And they lose that fluid after they're born within the first, you know, 24 hours. And then it looks like they're losing more weight because their birth weight was higher to begin with. You know, and this is just something that's not talked about in women. You don't know what you don't know. Uh uh So I love that there are people like you out there that are just boots on the ground (laughs) trying to, you know, with like this grassroots movement to really talk to moms. And I love that you're putting this all into a film, which I think is just a great medium to kind of get your message out there and, and really reach more. Thank you. I'm working on it. But like you said, it's so interconnected. How do you explain it so that you're not overwhelming the audience? Um, And because I've I've talked a lot, a lot of things already, and I haven't even talked about race yet. Um, and, And so that's another factor. So after you go through the whole birth experience, which largely determines, you know, your decision where you are in your headspace in terms of prepare being ready for that challenge of breastfeeding a thing i skipped is there are a lot of anecdotes about there if you're not at a, a baby friendly hospital you might not even get counseling about breastfeeding and if you don't know that it's available one mother that i interviewed at a conference she was 5 months into attempting to breastfeed her infant working at it had never heard of a lactation consultant she wow. wasn't offered one yeah she wasn't even offered one at the hospital and she was an employee at the hospital she worked there and didn't even know that that was a service that was available. Um, and if you do know that's a service that's available, you could request counseling, but they might not come for hours. And and when you're if you're trying to do the baby crawl and it doesn't work for you, oh, that can then, seem like an eternity. I'm sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Or or if you had a C-section or a preterm birth and your child's in the NICU. Um, I had one mother who uh, she had her child in the NICU, but she wanted to initiate breastfeeding. And she said, call me before you feed my child because I'm going to come down and I'm going to nurse. And when she would wake up and she would come down, they said, oh, the baby was crying. So we already fed him formula. And so she got so frustrated. She actually says it's something that she was really upset about and still frustrates her when she thinks about it. And what she ended up having to do is pull up a chair and a pillow and camp out in the NICU ward to make sure that she was there when her child was hungry because they weren't calling her. So she just slept in the NICU. Wow. That was her solution. Um, And then also she said because she was younger and she said she wanted to breastfeed, the nurses sometimes dismissed her her choice. And they say, oh, well, you know what? 
because of circumstances we actually think is going to be better if you feed for, feed your baby formula. And so the, they'll discourage it. And um, another article that I recently came across, a woman posted about her experience where she expressed an interest in learning to breastfeed after giving birth. And the nurse told her about the low rates of breastfeeding among the African-American community as a way to discourage her from even trying. Wow. Um, yes. And, and so it's already difficult. Um, but then you have um, maybe less than amenable circumstances or people who maybe aren't quite supporting that decision. And that's what the film is actually focusing on. And, and, and so it was interesting when you brought up the point about benefits. The movie is not about the benefits. I think a lot of mothers understand at this point the benefits of breastfeeding, but they don't often know all the challenges that they're going to meet and that that's just par for the course and that it can be overcome. And so what we're focusing on is less the mother and her choice, but more if you've made that de decision, what to look out for. And also is our secondary audience, because, you know, you have your target audience and that's moms who are expecting, but our secondary audience are the family members and the community of that mom. Because if a mom decides to breastfeed, she's going to need the support of her partner. She's going to need the support of her health care provider. She's going to need the support of her family members, the aunts, the mothers, the grandmothers who maybe didn't breastfeed, who might not be able to help her because they are not familiar with uh, a, ba a breastfed baby's behavior and how it differs from a formula fed baby. And she's going to need the community support so that when she's nursing in the park or at a bus stop or on the bus, she doesn't have the bus driver or other passengers or other strangers or passerbys giving her a hard time. I love the whole normalized breastfeeding movement. And mm -hmm. And I think with mediums like social media, and that's been allowing more people to get familiar with that and make, you know, images of mothers breastfeeding babies more common. And Yes, yes, yes. And, and we explore some of that. I hate to interrupt this awesome conversation, but I want to give some love to the companies who support this show and really make it possible for me to keep providing awesome free content for you. A few years ago, when I was pregnant, I spent hours coordinating with my insurance company and medical device companies trying to get a breast pump covered through my health insurance. In the end, it all worked out, but it was a huge ordeal. Luckily for you, Aeroflow is a company that is going to handle all of this on your behalf. They call your insurance company and figure out all the details like how much you qualify for and when your insurance will approve shipping a pump to you. They're going to get in touch with your doctor or midwife to get all the paperwork that they need for the insurance to cover the pump. And then they're going to get in touch with you to help you pick out the right breast pump for your needs. I really wish that this was around back when I spent hours going through this process. Aeroflow carries all of the major brands like Medela, Spectra, and Evenflow. Most insurance companies will cover a pump about a month before your due date, but you don't need to wait to get this process started. You can knock it off your list anytime during your pregnancy. To get started and check this item off your to-do list, you can go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash breast pump. You could easily spend hours comparing prenatal vitamins to try and find the right one for you. There are a lot of brands out there. I have done significant research and several episodes on prenatal vitamins and the contents of them. And I've also personally tried a lot of different brands. And there's one that really stands out that I really like. And that is the Prenatal Plus DHA from Zoller. 
They make a really high quality prenatal that includes the active form of folate that in my research I've found to be preferable over folic acid. And very few prenatal vitamins go through the trouble to put this in their vitamin. And the Zoller prenatal has omega-3s and DHA. So it's going to eliminate the need to take a separate DHA or omega-3 supplement. Hands down, this is my recommendation for a prenatal vitamin. And you can save some money when you buy it. You can get 25% off a one-month supply when you buy them on Amazon, which is already the cheapest place to find them online. I will put a link to the vitamins with the promo code, which is prepod25 in the show notes, and it's also on the resources page of the website. Thanks for listening about our sponsors, and now we can get back to hearing from Elizabeth. A lot of the topics that I've been bringing up so far are very general, and and they affect uh, most mothers in America. Um, So I'd like to highlight a couple more that are specific to the African-American experience. Yeah, please, please do. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the perception of black women and black mothers in American culture. We have a lot of bad press, um, a lot of times negative connotations. And so a lot of times there's an implicit bias on the part of staff where they might make some assumptions about what the mother's capable of or interested in. There is also more deeper, if you go even deeper in terms of the family experience, Um, One of the issues that a lot of the women online bring up is the legacy of slavery. And it's not quite that direct, but over generations, certain um, value systems are passed on. And and that is always a lot of times the source. And so one of the more popular topics is wet nursing um, and um, how the idea is that, oh, well, a mother might not have been able to breastfeed her own infant but had to uh, breastfeed the masters. I think there is some of that, but what I'm really interested in exploring is the idea of bonding and intimacy. And and what I mean by that is when you nurse, from the mothers who talk to me about their experience, when they look in their child's eyes, knowing that they're providing something that no one else can for their child, that bonding, that love, and knowing that their child needs them when they come home from work, their baby's crawling up to the front door to greet them. That's something that I don't think we had the luxury for if you're a slave on a plantation, I think that your, your, your bonding time with your child is very limited. I think the duration of breastfeeding is very limited. And I think the idea of having your child attached and needing you was limited because you didn't necessarily know if your child was going to be your child for a certain period of time. That child might get sold. You might get sold. And so there is an idea of kind of protecting yourself a little bit or protecting your child a little bit from being that attached because it was in question, that time period was in question. And so even now, when um, people say, oh, you don't want to spoil your child, you don't want your child to be too attached from you, I think that there's something there in that legacy where the mom had a limited time with the baby or the family unit was in question. And so now you go back, you know, several hundred years from from then, and and I, I think there's something there in terms of the level of intimacy between parents and intimacy and relationships between men and women. I'm I'm looking in terms of the documentary how much we can explore of that, but I I think there's something there. Yeah, wow. That's really interesting to think about, and especially that really wasn't that far back in our history. No, just a few generations. I think so much of, you know, what you understand of relationships is how you saw your parents, you know, Mm -hmm. or what was passed down to you in, in your youth. And 
I can see how that kind of stuff could perpetuate even until today. So, and I love that you're exploring this. You know, this is not something that I've done a lot of research and stuff on on breastfeeding, but that certainly wasn't something that I had come across. Yeah, it started to come to the surface when um, the experts that I spoke to talked about uh, the emotional balance and how that is the baby's first relationship, and they start taking some of their emotional cues from that first relationship. The idea of that, you know, sometimes when people want to wean a child, instead of self-weaning, letting the baby self-wean, they'll just let it, let the baby cry it out and, and learn to self-soothe and um, wondering if that's the best thing and how traumatizing that might be. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I can't wait. I'm ready for this documentary to come out. I want to watch it now. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> Well, what, I mean, are there some other points that you'd like to talk about as far as some b- other barriers to getting breastfeeding to be accepted more as a cultural norm in the African-American community or? Yeah. So one thing that's also um, come to light as I've spoken with different people is that um, actually black women breastfed for much longer than other populations in society. And so what I'm learning more now about is the legacy of midwives, black midwives in America and how African-American women were actually, um, I, one of the midwives I've been in following, she brought this to my attention, that Black families were doing home births and breastfeeding up until the 50s, longer than a lot of other groups were. Um, and it was the when the midwives started to disappear, for, for some reasons, that's when we started losing that, um, that tradition. And so it's just been maybe a couple of generations that we've started to see this dis- disparity appear. It's not that Black people have never um, breastfed and never did home births. Um, it's just a, it's a more of a recent phenomenon that's starting to take its toll in terms of infant mortality rates, maternal morbidity rates, um, and different um, chronic disease outcomes like that. Another barrier is um, the economic barrier. And when you talk about being able to afford a lactation consultant, whether your health care provides for that and covers for that, that becomes a question. And I think a lot of people are nervous in terms of the ACA because the ACA actually has some provisions that are very friendly towards breastfeeding. And if we lose that, that becomes a concern at the policy level. It, this becomes a thing that's more about social economic um, status and the numbers in terms of uh, obviously there are more black people who are disproportionately represented in the low income uh, community. And that plays a role in terms of the type of jobs that you have access to and the accommodations that those jobs are going to provide. So if you work in an office setting, they might able be able to find a space for you to pump. But if you are on your feet or if you're in a factory or if you're in the service industry, that might be more challenging. And so some of the women that I've interviewed who worked in restaurants talk about the means, the very creative means that they'll go to to figure out a way to maintain their supply through pumping. It's, it's tricky uh, uh, finding a way to talk about it in a, in a soundbite sort of way. Um, let me let you ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I would like you to just touch on is the WIC program. Yes. And I know just from the limited kind of research that I've done on this topic, I know that, I mean, studies have found that African-American women were less likely than white women to get breastfeeding advice. And, you know, instead, they're more likely to be given formula feeding advice. Yep. And this is this is true in the hospital setting. So I'm not surprised that it occurs in WIC offices as well. It's interesting. WIC is a wonderful program. I want to say that first. 
most of the women that I've interviewed who have breastfed were clients at WIC. WIC has been a venue not just for women to learn about breastfeeding, Black women to learn about breastfeeding. It's also been a means of employment for Black women as peer counselors, as lactation educators. And a lot of women who have gone through that pipeline have ultimately gone on to become lactation consultants who are internationally board certified. Um, And so it's interesting that WIC is also the largest supplier of formula because they make it based off what the woman, the, what the mother's requesting. They do provide some bonuses if you do decide to breastfeed where you'll get larger, uh, larger accommodation for, for um, healthy food. Um, you'll be able to um, make more purchases. And uh, I forget the exact language for it. I feel like a little bit bad. But um, they do have some means in place to encourage mothers to breastfeed. But if they decide not to breastfeed, they will supply formula. And so it's interesting. So it's on both, it, it sits on both sides. But in terms of the uh, people who are employed at WIC, it, de- it depends. It depends on the biases or the experience of the person who's working there. And so a lot of the women who I've interviewed work at WIC and they're peer counselors and they are, they're strong advocates for breastfeeding. But depending on the demographic of that WIC employee, what their assumptions might be in terms of what the mother's going to ask or request or be most interested in, that comes into play. And so if you have a, a bias and you assume that, oh, this is a single black mom, she's low income, she's not going to want to breastfeed. Or this is a stay-at-home mom, she might be interested in breastfeeding. If you're making recommendations based off any of those two assumptions, there might be some um, leaning towards one side or the other. Yes, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but I, I want to also, you know, because they've done such great work, I, I, it's not uh, one size fits all. It depends on who that employee is and, and what their experience level is. Right. And I, and I'm by no means. Oh, um, no, I, I, think to... it, I, it, I, part of it is I'm, I'm, I'm one of the mothers who I, I want to follow. I'm trying to get permission from Wix to film there. So I want to make sure that they know <laughs> that I'm, 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 I'm going to be in a, as objective as I can. No, <laughs> I can. no. And I mean, like you were saying, you, you know, you're finding the same or a similar issue in hospitals. You know, yes. where African-American women are getting disproportionately different advice from based off when you come in. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because a mom will come in. She'll come in with her husband. She'll have a ring on. Uh, she might have pre-registered and they'll still go, oh, OK, are you in the system? Um, is this your baby's daddy? And it, 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 it's like, no, this is my husband. I'm, I'm in this like we filled out the forms already. I'm wearing a ring. Um, And and not not that that matters one way or the other, but they've already got an image in their mind and that might influence what they decide to offer as an option for the mom in terms of infant feeding. Um, I think it's great that this wave of baby friendly hospitals is going on. Breastfeed LA, one of our partners, um, they do a great job in helping um, hospitals get certified under that umbrella Um, because before then you would give birth and they'd automatically hand you a formula bag. That had like pamphlets and free samples. So they're already kind of pushing you in one direction. I mean, advertising from formula companies is intense when you're pregnant. It is. It's if you sign up for any kind of mailing list, you're going to be getting samples in the mail and coupons in the mail. And yep, many of the women I've talked to, like, yeah, I signed up for one thing and now I'm getting these samples in the mail. And I have to get them out of the house or else I'm going like, yeah, I don't, I don't even, uh, and one, the mother that I follow, she actually kept them. And she said, when times got tough, when the baby wasn't latching properly, she looked at the formula sitting on top of the fridge. And, and she was like, it's almost, it was almost like it was talking to me and saying, you know, it's not so bad. Like I'm right here for you. I'm, I'm a resource. Right. Let me know. 
And she's like, no, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> Tammy was one of the women we followed. She was funny. She, she had like a whole personality assigned to that formula bottle. But yes, it, it's, it's very tempting if times, you know, and, and breastfeeding is challenging initially. So it, it's not uh, surprising that people might decide, you know what, I don't have time for this. Let me just reach for the bottle that they've sent me in the mail. It's right there. Right. And, you know, in the, in the beginning, when we started talking, you were talking about kind of all the things that you can do from starting when you're pregnant, you know, getting educated mm-hmm. about breastfeeding and all this stuff. What are some resources that from all of the mothers that you've spoken to, and I know that you've partnered with a lot of really awesome organizations with the film, do you have any resources that you would like to recommend to any expecting moms or moms that maybe want to kind of prepare to overcome some of the challenges that they could face with breastfeeding? I do indeed, and I'm happy that there's so many that I have to think about which ones I'd like to, to specify. Some of the organizations that I've partnered with, and they are based in different states, but they also have resources that will connect you to organizations in your area, and um, just in case they don't have a particular network there. But the first one is um, I want to start with because they're the first organization that reached out to me, um, Soul Food for Your Baby. They're a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles, um, focused on providing resources and breastfeeding for African-American mothers. Another one is Reaching Our Sisters Everywhere, uh, which is Rose, and they're based out of Atlanta, but they have some satellite organizations in different states. Another organization that I partner with is a Black Mothers Breastfeeding Association, nonprofit based out of Detroit, Michigan. And in terms of outside of just African-American mothers, there's La Leche League, which I'm very happy to have partnered with, and they've been around for decades. They are uh, a staple at this point in terms of breastfeeding resources and advocacy. And finally, National Medical Association, that's a nonprofit organization um, of black physicians, and they have a section for obstetric gynecologists, and they have a breastfeeding toolkit that they come out with um, every other year, and they've incorporated chocolate milk as one of their resources that they provide to healthcare providers to make sure that they can be allies um, in breastfeeding. And um, so those are the organizations, of course, that I'd start with because those are my partners. But the wonderful thing about the black breastfeeding movement is that it's just a touch of a button away to find resources in your community. There there are coalitions and chapters and organizations focused on breastfeeding support for mothers in nearly every state at this point. And what I really advocate for as a resource are support groups. And that might be anachronous to um, the black woman experience in terms of being independent, not needing help, not relying on anybody. But these support groups are more like sister circles. They're a circle of mothers who are either going through exactly what you're going through or have been there before. And they can give you that common sense on the ground advice for what you're you know, having issues with immediately. And also they just become a sounding board because a lot of times the frustration that you're going through in terms of working with your latch, working with technique, cracked nipples, pain, um, returning to work, people not understanding in your family what you're going through. That's a circle where they know what you're talking about and it becomes your tribe. Um, and so that's that's the uh, number one resource is talking to your peers, even just a, a friend or a cousin or an aunt, someone who's had that same experience. Um, just someone you can talk to. I think that's the biggest resource. Sometimes the literature or the pamphlets or the books that they might give you might be a little daunting, but just talking to someone one-on-one. I think I could not agree with you more on that. When my son was just a few weeks old, I went to a few La Leche League meetings, 
And Mm -hmm. thankfully at the time, breastfeeding was, was going okay for me. I wasn't having huge issues with it, but I just felt so isolated. And I just needed to be around other women who were also breastfeeding. And so I just so I didn't feel like I'm just this milk machine. Like I just sit here with this baby attached to me all day. And like, I I don't know, it's kind of hard to to describe, but um, I just needed like a connection with other moms who were going through what I was going through. And that made just such a world of difference for me. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, just being able to know that, you know, you're not alone in doing this because like we've been talking about, I mean, breastfeeding can be really challenging and especially just on an emotional level. It's it's this totally different thing to have this human completely reliant on you, you know, and to kind of be responsible for providing food and everything for this little human. So I think it can be powerful just to get around other women who know what you're going through. And yes, yes, and can shape that perspective because it's all the perspective that you, because I've talked to mothers who talk about that, what you just described as being the most empowering thing that they've ever experienced. And I have other mothers where they didn't like it. It it, it freaked them out a little bit and it made them feel feel overwhelmed. And and then you have issues about maybe if you have feelings of inadequacy that, that, that might become... Uh, elevate it in that moment. And so, yes, this work can give you some perspective on it. And yes, so you can have a pos- more positive light or at least knowing, okay, well, it's the right thing and, and it's not forever. <laughs> right. Depending on <laughs> where you're coming from with it. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Janelle, one of the, um, I, I just wanted to, Janelle's story, which has been really um, resonate with a lot of folks. Um, Janelle's a mom that I interviewed last year. And she talked about her biggest regret being not breastfeeding more in public. Um, and she talked about how isolating it felt that she would have to go into another room or go in her car um, because she didn't, you know, want to have to have people see her breastfeed or she felt uncomfortable about breastfeeding with this by the second child. She became a little less reserved. But she would talk about she said that one of the most um, I didn't have time to fit this in the video vignette because online you can only have like maybe a 90 second, two minute video. But um, in our interview, she talked about one of the sweetest things that anyone ever did. She was with a group of friends and he was showing them pictures from an event or a vacation. And so everyone's gathered around looking at his photographs and she had to nurse her child. And she went into another room and she felt bad because, you know, she was you, know, he, you hear people laughing and talking. And you're, in the other you're room missing and, out. Yeah. And you're missing out. When she came out, he had it. He'd stopped showing people photographs to wait for her. And she said that was just the sweetest thing that anyone had ever done. And and she said that that's what she recommends. If people want to know how to support a mother who's breastfeeding, it's that. Things like that. Gestures like that. Or even offering to go in the room with her to breastfeed so she has someone to keep her company, another adult. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I, I can certainly, like I was saying, I can relate to um, to feeling isolated. So, and even you know, listeners of this podcast, even if you're pregnant now, if you have friends that are breastfeeding, you know, anything you can do to support them and make them feel more comfortable and supported, I think is awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Elizabeth, I could easily keep talking to you for hours today on all of this stuff. Um, I just love hearing your perspective and, and your thoughts on all of this. To kind of wrap things up a little bit, 
Can you yes. tell us, okay, so where are you with the documentary now and kind of what are the steps that you're still getting through to kind of wrap this thing up so it will be released? Yes. And so where I am with the film. So I recently got a lot of my interviews transcribed after the last three years of running around and interviewing folks and editing pieces. And I realized I have over 60 interviews that I've conducted. Wow. Um, yes, a lot. So I have a lot of source material and I'd like to include those as a little commentary throughout the documentary. Um, but our primary goal um, in terms of the narrative thread of the piece is to follow three mothers in different areas of the breastfeeding movement. And so we finished filming um, one of our three subjects, Tammy, who was a new mom, breastfed for the first six months and passed, and her experience. Um, right now, we're currently filming um, our midwife named Rashad Tahani Lawler, um, who's got, gotten some coverage before and had some very interesting experiences as a midwife who supports breastfeeding. Um, and so we're following her story now. And I'm hoping to film our third subject this fall. And um, we're right now we're in the process of raising funds so that we can start going outside of Los Angeles, outside of California, to get some of the experts that um, I've been in connection and, and in contact with over the past few years to get perspective in terms of the, the statistics, um, the macro level context about the issue. And so, yeah, we're, we're right in the middle of production. We're hoping to finish filming all of the interviews for our main subjects and our experts. We're also hoping to get some celebrity moms who have been advocates for breastfeeding um, in the film. And we're hoping to finish all of that by the spring of next year so we can be in uh, post-production in the summer. And my pipe dream is to actually have the film ready um, by August 2018 in time for National Breastfeeding Month next year. Well, it sounds like I know you've you've done a lot of work, but it also sounds like you have some work cut out for you to yeah. finish this up. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for coming on and talking to me. I love what you're doing. I, I want to support you. Please let me know anything I can do in that regard. And I'll put links to everything in the show notes where everyone can find you on social media and the Chocolate Milk website and where they can learn more about that documentary and how they can help support your efforts. Before Wonderful. you go, to put you on the spot a little bit. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you have one piece of advice that you'd really like to part with to give expecting moms? Yes, yes, yes. So one of the things that has been coming up more when I talk to mothers as a way, a way to elicit the support of their family members who are often going to be their first line of defense, offense, whatever you might call it, in this breastfeeding journey is to not do the education alone, but incorporate them in it. So my word of advice would be, if you're learning about breastfeeding, make it a group effort. Bring, have, have your husband or your partner and your mother and your aunt be on the call. Have them come to the classes, have them learn alongside you so that they understand what you're doing. And, 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 and that is helpful because when they understand that it's going to be a challenge already, they'll be more careful with their language. When they, when, when they want to be supportive, they won't say, oh, that looks hard. Are you sure you want to keep doing it? No, they'll say, you can do it. <laughs> it it'll, it'll shift their perspective. And so the advice that I've gotten from some of the mothers that I've talked to, they said that the thing that was the most helpful for them was making the whole family part of the educational experience when they were learning about breastfeeding. Oh, that makes so much sense. Well, and then you're not doing it alone, you know. Exactly. So. It becomes a coach and a team. It's like team and not just my, me and myself. Right. Um, and they, they know how better to support you and they understand what you're doing. They don't question uh, the amount of times that the baby needs to feed because they know. 
that's because those are the type of comments, you know, people don't they mean well um, because everyone, no, no one's maliciously, you know, twirling their their villain mustache trying to undermine a mother who's breastfeeding. They might not know that the comments that they're making are unsupportive or counterproductive. Right. But if they're learning alongside you, they, they know exactly what you're trying to do and why. And they can be better advocates and allies. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And definitely keep me posted on the documentary and how that's progressing. And, and thank you so much. Um, I, I really can't thank you enough for uh, allowing me to come on the show and talk about the issue a little bit. I, I hope I was able to shed a little bit of light. It's so, it's such a, it's so much, though. I, you know, there's so much to go into. That I, but I hope I, I cracked the door a little bit. Yeah, at least to get the conversation started. To recap today's episode, Elizabeth and I had really just a candid conversation about some of the issues and challenges that so many mothers are going to encounter during breastfeeding. And a lot of these are not openly discussed. If you are able to contribute to the film in any way, there is a link for the show notes for monetary contributions. And even just sharing this with your friends and family is helpful. And just having conversations so that these issues that we talked about today become less and less common in the future. I want to thank you for tuning into the Pregnancy Podcast today. I really hope that you found this episode helpful. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at PregnancyPodcast.com. You can find notes and resources for this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash episode 101.